beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in a monarchy, the king and queen have authority to shape the character of their own kingdoms. And the Lord always made it clear that, clear in the Old Testament, that he wanted his kingdom ruled by leaders who humbly studied and lived by his law, upheld justice in the land, and protected the people from harm. The faithful kings pointed ahead to the promised Messiah King, the promised Son of David, and God blessed them by giving them peace from their enemies. When Jesus was born, when he came and he started preaching, he preached that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He knew also that once he had completed the work that he had come to do, he would receive all authority in heaven and on earth and be the promised king of God's heavenly kingdom. Well, John 12 serves as a window into the last days of Christ's life here on earth, just before his death, when the hour had come for him to finish his work on the earth. Our text today describes an unrepeatable event that happened at a particular moment in history on a road leading up to the gates of Jerusalem. And that event has eternal consequences for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is no longer riding on a donkey here on the earth. And the purpose of our text today is, is not to call God's people to wave palm branches on this Palm Sunday, just as we are not called to pour out a year's wages worth of oil on a Savior who has already ascended into heaven. Rather, God has given our text today to reveal to us that the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we are worshiping still today, he is not a Savior of an earthly kingdom, but he is the one who has died to bring us into a heavenly kingdom. Our text today showing the King, Jesus, our Messiah, riding on a donkey amidst the cries of praise in order to face his death in Jerusalem as our substitute is a text given so that we might know what our King is like and what it means to be a part of his kingdom. I preach you this gospel under the following theme, Christ, the humble king, carries us into his heavenly kingdom of peace. Look at three parts. O you who cry out to be saved, Hosanna, behold, your king has come, and he will be glorified. We know it well. The effects of the fall into sin have led people of all places and all times to cry out for relief. And the Gospel of John shows how the people of Israel were longing for a ruler who could reverse the effects of the fall into sin, who could restore joy 
to life, like John 2, when the water was changed into wine, who would give bread to the hungry, maybe even 5,000 on a hill, who would heal the sick, who would raise the dead, who would throw off that oppressive yoke of the occupying Roman forces. And this longing, this cry for salvation grew louder for the Jews during the feast of Passover, even while they were being taunted by the Romans who had the custom of releasing one prisoner during the feast, during that very feast that they were commemorating that they had been set free from the oppressive slavery of Egypt. Well, today we are very familiar with this desire to have a Messiah to help us in this earthly kingdom. Just look at Facebook. Look at all the posts about people looking, crying for relief in our earthly struggles. Don't you long to have a benevolent, a, a nice, a kind ruler in our province of Alberta, in our, in our country? Someone who could heal people so that there'd be no more wait lists in the hospitals? Someone who could feed people to end poverty and to boost our economy? Someone who, could, who would live by God's laws so that we could raise our children with freedom without any fear of government interference? Somebody who could impart such wisdom when he spoke in his speeches that we actually would feel like writing some of these things down? Imagine if Jesus was prime minister. Brothers and sisters, as we think this way, we can, we can understand how easy it was for the Jewish population to see Jesus coming and, and to be so focused on, on their own comforts and on, on their own kingdoms on earth, their economy and health care and education, that they failed to see that God was opening the gates of the kingdom of heaven for them through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, as the people gathered to honor Jesus and they called him to be their king, and you notice that they're calling him to be king in complete defiance of the Jewish leaders who had already labeled him as a criminal to be arrested. But as they're gathering and they're calling Jesus to be king, they quoted the words of Psalm 118. If you'd like to see exactly which words, you can, you can see it. It's Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. We'll sing that after the, the sermon. It's on page 512. They're quoting the words of Psalm 118, which was the final song of a Hallel. It's called the Hallel hymn that they sang every Passover, which is a combination of Psalms 113 to 118. So the Psalm 118 was on their lips. It was one of those familiar hymns they sang every Passover. And in the psalm, you look that after praising God for his faithfulness in the past, Psalm 118 was sung to ask God to save them through the stone the builders had rejected. The crowds then saw Jesus coming to Jerusalem, and they believed that he was the blessed one 
who was coming in the name of the Lord, just like the psalm. And then they added even the promised king of Israel. And so they cried out, Hosanna, which means save, please. And Hosanna is related in form and in meaning to the name Joshua, which is the Hebrew form of the name Jesus. And so the crowd, longing for the man on the donkey to be their deliverer, they cried out, be our Joshua, be our Jesus, be our Savior, Hosanna. And that psalm on their lips was so wonderful, so beautiful, so appropriate. But the desires of their heart were selfish, disconnected from what was actually happening, the work of God that was happening. Although they sang the psalm that announced the entrance of the messianic king into the city of Zion, although they waved the, the palm branches that symbolized their faith in Jesus' victory over their enemies, though they cried out, Hosanna, O save to the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They only wanted an earthly king who could give them political victory. They understood the name Jesus to mean Savior from earthly discomforts and not to mean Savior from the wrath of God against our sins selfishly longing for less when God had prepared so much more. The crowds with the palm branches were contributing to Jesus' suffering as he made his way to the cross. They honored Jesus for the wrong things, something that is completely against his mission and his calling. They acted like people today who claim Christianity for the comfortable life, for the blessings they hope will fall on their crops, for the victory. But they have no interest in facing their own sins and confessing these before the Lord because they don't see their need for a Savior to die on a cross. And the Holy Spirit cries out to the world, through the Gospel of John, through our text, O oh, you who cry out to be saved, do you really see what you need to be saved from? You who repeat the name Jesus in your psalms and in your hymns, do you realize that a comfortable life, that excellent education, that good health care, that noble earthly leaders are not the things you need most in your life? Do you, brothers and sisters, understand what you are singing about, what, what the Christian faith is promising? As you sing the Psalms, as they point you to your own rebellion, to God's anger against sin, and his amazing promise to forgive your sins, to grant you life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. 
You see, if it was about earthly kingdoms, what happens to us here on the earth? Jesus could have taken hold of the throne in that very hour. He had the host of angels at his side. He had a boisterous crowd of Jewish supporters. He could have been the earthly Joshua or the earthly Jesus and kept the world comfortable in their sins and rebellion, their lives here on earth. But praise God forever and ever. Our Lord Jesus loved us too much to be the king that our sinful hearts desired, that, that small little earthly king that might make life a little more comfortable now, he would not leave us under the condemnation of God. He would not just be the earthly king on earth. And this gospel is what he proclaimed when he found a young donkey to sit on as he entered the city of Jerusalem. Behold, your king who has come. You see, knowing what the crowds were thinking, the Lord Jesus did not leave them in their ignorance. John tells us that he saw that and he found a young donkey, a young donkey, and he sat upon it. Although the disciples didn't understand the significance of the young donkey and all the excitement with all the shouting and, and the palm branches in that moment, the Spirit showed John when he was writing these things down, and you could see how the Spirit gave this guidance in John 14, verse 26. The Spirit showed John when he's writing these things down that Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy when he found that donkey, the prophecy of Zechariah 9. And he did that so that he might teach the church what kind of king we are worshiping. And as we turn back to Zechariah 9, the message for the church is very clear. Many years before, the people had returned from exile in Babylon, and they returned to their own country and like a small, trembling child in the midst of mighty armies. The Lord spoke to his people through the prophet Zechariah to comfort them. He said, yes, you're small and those countries around you are big and they are powerful, but I will punish those nations who persist in their wickedness. It's chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. And he promised in chapter 9, verse 8, Zechariah 9, verse 8, that he would encamp at his house as a guard so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them. He says, for now I see with my own eyes. And then the Lord revealed how he would guard them. And he says, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What kind of king is it? Well, the first thing we see is that he has promised to be a strong king, not because he has the political might to save from enemy forces, but he is called, called strong because he is righteous, because he grants salvation from the real problem, from sin, 
and he saves from judgments of God. The Lord Jesus really has very little to say about Roman oppression. He has very little to say about which form of government happens to be ruling over a province or a country. You can't look at this and say, well, the best political party in Canada is this one or that one. His focus is on the spiritual well-being of everybody. That is what he gives to us. Everyone, whether they be conservatives or liberals, socialists or capitalists, monarchists, good rulers or poor rulers. The Lord promised a king who was righteous, who would save from sin. And that king, he says, will be a humble king. If you look at Zechariah 9, verse 10, where the Lord talks about a chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, while a young donkey is a very lowly animal to ride. You young men, if you think about it, and you boys, if you're thinking about it, if you want to look really tough, what would you pick to ride on? A big, mighty war horse or a donkey? You know, in today's terms, it would be like a king, a king coming in to the crowd, slowly pedaling his old childhood bicycle into his town. Instead of that normal entourage of blacked-out luxury vehicles. That's the, the comparison here. The Lord Jesus coming on a donkey. And so he revealed that he is the king exactly according to the prophecy. A king who would be despised by men. They, they, would, they would laugh at him for this. A king who would obtain access into the heavenly kingdom through his own lowliness and shameful death on the cross. Well, this was not a message that the Jewish people wanted to hear. They were nationalists. They wanted to have a strong country and a strong economy. They didn't like the look of this humble king on a donkey. And we're not surprised to see that Days later, just days, they replaced their chants, Oh, Hosanna, to the chant, Crucify Him. They turned on Jesus quicker than our modern media turns on our elected officials. And when John points to the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, he replaces the words, Rejoice greatly, of Zechariah, 9 verse 8, with the words, fear not. And that's often associated, those words are often associated with good tidings to the church. In this volatile world of political upheaval and oppression, the words, fear not, connect us to the prophecy of Zephaniah 3, where the Lord reveals that he is the king of Israel who is in our midst. He is the one who takes away our judgments. And since he is present among us, we can say with Zephaniah, fear not. We can look at one another as Christians following Jesus Christ and we can say, fear not. Do not be afraid. The king in our midst 
It's Jesus Christ. He is the one promised in Psalm 72, verse 8. You saw that when you were walking in today. It was displayed on the wall behind us, Psalm 72, verse 8, whose dominion will extend from sea to sea, like we sang in hymn 46. Jesus Christ is the king who loves his subjects so much that he was willing to humble himself even to death to save from the wrath of God against our sins. Our king rode on a donkey on his way to the cross for all who would believe in him, calling us to follow him without fear. He is the king who fulfills the prophecies of Zephaniah. He is the king who fulfills the prophecies of Zechariah, the king who would die to bring the cessation of war and everlasting peace to all nations. Behold your king, brothers and sisters. See Jesus Christ and know who he is. Not just the king of Israel, but the king of the whole world. The Pharisees were exasperated, we read, because all their attempts to get the crowd on their side seemed to be failing. The crowd that had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they were continuing to bear witness. They had quite a different message to share about Jesus Christ than the rumors that the Pharisees were spreading. And not only that, but Jesus was not acting like they wanted him to act. He was not acting like a guilty, hiding criminal that they were portraying him to be. They were, they were exasperated with Jesus who came in acting like a king. And as the Jewish leaders of the church looked on, they said, we're gaining nothing. So fearing for their own positions and power, not at all about the truth. They called to one another to look and see, and we read in verse 19, they said, for the world has gone after him. John notices this. And although he has to jump ahead in the timeline to a later day in the week, so verse 20 is further on in the week, a, a couple days later, the Holy Spirit ties the words of the Pharisees with this coming of some Greeks to see the Lord Jesus. In between, the Lord Jesus had come into the temple, looked around, and then proved to them he wasn't an earthly king because he left. And then he came back another day. He cleansed the temple. You can read about this in Mark 11. And then he said, this temple is a house of prayer for all nations. And then we read in John 12, Verse 19 or 20, that some Greeks came up to the feast. So after the temple had been cleansed, we can read, these Greeks came to Philip. He is a Jew who had a Greek name, so maybe that's why they were attracted to him. He was from Bethsaida in Galilee, which is close to a place called Decapolis where many Greeks lived. And the Greeks came up to Philip and they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We wish to behold Jesus. Well, John shows us the significance of this request. This was quite the request for Greeks to make. And so Philip 
hesitates. You notice that in our text. And he, he first consults with Andrew. Had Jesus meant that all nations would be able to have access to, to God? Hadn't Jesus himself told the disciples earlier in Matthew 10 that they were not to preach the gospel to Gentiles and Samaritans, but only to Jews? Could it be that Jesus wanted to be Lord of peoples from all nations, even the Gentiles, who were not ordinarily even allowed into the inner courts of the temple? Was that wall of hostility to be destroyed? Did it happen one more time that the Jewish leaders had unwittingly proclaimed the greatness of the work of Jesus Christ when they said the world was going after him? Although the Jewish leaders used the word world to speak in an exaggerated way about everybody who was going who was there in Jerusalem, everybody going to see Jesus. John tells us that the truth of the situation is even bigger than those Pharisees thought. Jesus would die not just for the nation of Israel, but for all the children of God who are scattered over all the world. We read about that in John 11, verses 51 to 52. It was because, you know, in John 3, verse 16, it was because God loved the world, which includes people everywhere without racial distinction, people who are lost in rebellion against God. It was because God so loved this world that God sent his only son into the world. The interracial crowd coming after Jesus before his death anticipated the fullness of the work of Jesus Christ. And it served as an important sign for our Lord Jesus Christ. He says to his disciples when he heard that Greeks were looking for him, he right away says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You know how many times he said, it's not my hour yet, it's not the hour yet? Well now, he says, the hour has come. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man so that no one would forget that he is on his way to the throne of his Father in heaven in fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel 7. And yet the title Son of Man also served to remind God's people about the human nature that he had taken on and how it was necessary for him to die in order that the harvest might be complete. The hour had come for God to show the full extent of his love so that people from all nations and all peoples of the earth might glorify him in thanksgiving and praise. And as a, as a Canadian today, hearing the Lord Jesus say, the hour has come for me to be glorified, that's a great comfort. John wrote this all down so that also today we might see what kind of king we have. He is a humble king he is one who saves from sin, and he is a king for every nation in all the earth, every tribe, every language. And then we see brothers and sisters in Christ's kingdom, in the kingdom of God, in, in the assembly of believers. 
You cannot find the divisive politics that highlight diversity based on bedroom activity or self-identity or nationality or color of skin. For there in the church in the kingdom of Christ, you will only find Christians. Christ Jesus receives into his kingdom everyone who repents, who believes in him, who loves him, and who follows him. And this is what we are a part of. He is a Catholic king, a universal and eternal king. And he carries us. He carries us through the the kingdoms, the politics of this world. He, he is the one who holds us through these elections of this week and, and this year that are, are coming. Whatever the outcome may be, we belong to his eternal kingdom where we all are identified by him. And so, brothers and sisters, make it your daily goal to see Jesus the king who revealed the greatness of the peaceful kingdom for the humble who follow him. It's a well-known fact that this little statement of the Greeks who came to see him, and they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. It's often put on a little plaque right on the pulpit. So pastors, remember what they're there for. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so from this pulpit, we proclaim Jesus the King. Look at him every day as you pray, as you read your Bible, as you face the challenges of, of your own suffering so that you might live as the Christian that he made you to be regardless of your history or your race so that you can celebrate together the eternal victory. Our, G Our Lord Jesus told the crowds in Matthew 23 that they would not see him again as a gentle, loving king until they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, let us sing the words of Psalm 118 with sincerity and with understanding, knowing who our king is. The stone the builders had rejected, who was crucified to pay for our sins, and then crowned king to carry us into his heavenly kingdom. Amen.